Alright, hello and welcome back to this, you know, slightly late edition of Unqualified Analysis. I am your host, Caleb Verzak. I mean, I forgot the slogan there, but you already know what it is. It's the podcast with zero credentials, zero qualifications. that just keeps firing off takes anyways. I mean, it's just all I do in life. Uh, that being said, we have got a jam-packed episode. We got Mike Evans throwing hands, Lamar Jackson throwing bombs, and running for bombs too, if you can even consider it that. I don't know, kind of flub that. Either way, and Nathaniel Hackett seemingly trying to throw games. It is once again a jam-packed episode of great football games uh, to get to. So, enough exposition. Let's crack this sucker open, shall we? NFL Week 2. And started out with a banger on Thursday night. Uh, Chiefs outlasting the Chargers 27-24 to on Thursday night football. The inaugural Thursday night football of the Amazon regime. Uh, a few hiccups here and there, but... I think Big Cap brought up Big Cap and PFT brought up a uh, a good point here on their uh, pardon my take. I'm I'm sure you've probably heard of it at this point. Um, saying I mean they basically they they kind of cornered the market here as far as their ads are concerned because they like half of the ads were all for Amazon products. Um, and you couldn't switch away from the commercials. Once you were in the commercials, you were there, and you know you can't switch away from one streaming service to another readily available and easily that for that matter so got people locked in uh for what you were trying to sell solid first night for um amazon prime or just prime video overall um with that being said chargers jumped out to an early double digit lead going into uh going up 10 nothing uh, at the start of the second then re-established that lead early in the third 17-7 but this game was close from the start to the finish otherwise uh the tide changed in the mid third quarter Pat Mahomes hit Justin Watson down the field for 41 yards and a touchdown. From there, the Chiefs rolled that momentum into the fourth where they scored another 13 points unanswered to bring that total to 20, excuse me. Uh, capped by a momentum-swinging 99-yard pick six on the goal line by undrafted rookie Jalen Watson. Another Watson making an incredible play. Uh, who was starting for injured fellow rookie Trent McDuffie, their first-round pick over at corner. Uh, Gerald Everett, who the pick six was intended for uh, on that Justin Herbert pass, was completely gassed. Asked to come out prior, was tapping the helmet, uh, looking at the sidelines uh, prior to that play being run. But ultimately, Chargers pushed the pace. Everett ran a sloppy, exhausted route, and the rest is history from there. I mean, he lost his mouthpiece, and he was honestly more concerned with picking up the mouthpiece than he was with chasing down the play, which shows you just how ridiculously exhausted the guy was. Great opportunistic play from Watson, but a miscalculation from Herbert and Joe Lombardi to push the pace instead of rotating in a fresh tight end, taking their time down on the goal line. Justin Herbert threw a late TD to Joshua Palmer to bring the game to its uh, final score, but the Chargers were un unable to recover the ensuing onside kick. Game over. Chiefs were just able to outlast the Chargers. Uh, big win there. Notable performers in this game, obviously Patrick Mahomes, 24-35, so just over 68% completion, 235 yards, um, two touchdowns, 6.7 yards per attempt, no turnovers, clean game from uh, Pat Mahomes overall. Justin Herbert on the other side, flash big time, actually had a slightly higher completion percentage on 48 attempts, 68.8% compared to Patrick Mahomes, 686 uh, also had 334 yards, nice even 7.0 7 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, 
one INT, that one we just talked about. Critical, critical mistake, but it was just one mistake at the end of the day. Solid day for Justin Herbert overall. Just couldn't quite get him over the hump there at the end. Uh, and the running backs, Clyde Edwards-Alaire led the way for the Chiefs, rushing for 74 yards on eight rushes for just over nine yards per carry. Hell of an efficient day. Also got over 100 uh, not just all-purpose yards, yards from scrimmage with uh, four receptions, 44 yards. Big day for CEH out of the backfield. On the other side, kind of a mixed bag for Austin Eckler. Had 14 rushes, 39 yards, so less than three yards per attempt, but did have nine receptions, 55 yards, so it came back around in that way. Uh, not a great day for the rushing offense. We'll talk about that in just a bit. Uh, tight end Travis Kelsey led the way in the receiving end for the Chiefs. Uh, Five receptions, 51 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, Justin Watson caught uh, one of the touchdowns. Um, can't remember exactly who caught the other one, but who's to say? I'm not going back to look at the box score at this point. Uh, also, Justin Watson. Never heard of him. Apparently, he was buried on the uh, Bucks depth chart for like four years, though. So, I mean, seems about right. Seems about right. Um, hopefully, hey, maybe he'll make some money playing for the Chiefs. I mean, having Patrick Mahomes, not the worst QB situation in the world to have there, but I digress. On the Chargers side, Mike Williams really caught a bajillion contested balls, only caught contested balls. I think it's just kind of what Mike Williams is known for at this point. But had over 100 yards, 113 yards on eight receptions, got a touchdown early in the game on one of those contested catches. He is an absolute animal when it comes to those 50-50 balls. It might be more of a 75-25 proposition when you put him against a corner that's, I mean, by default, I think Mike Williams around 6'4", 220, 230 pounds. By default, going to have a size advantage there against pretty much everyone except Tariq Woolen, which I guess Tariq Woolen was on the other side, wasn't he? But still, rookie corner against a, uh, a veteran wide receiver like that. Going to be mincemeat all day, every day. I guess it wasn't this game, was it? I'm phew, jumping around games already, but hey. Outside of that, though, uh, fellow Mississippi State alum Willie Gay led the way for the Chiefs on defense with 11 tackles and two tackles for loss and got suspended for four games stemming from a January arrest for breaking a bunch of stuff in an argument with his baby mama, most notably a vacuum cleaner. I believe a humidifier got fucked up in there as well. Uh, that being said, this is also the guy that, that broke the starting QB's jaw right before the Mississippi State uh, Bowl game in his final college season. So, you know, it's it's comforting to know that some things never change at the end of the day. You know, I mean, people, I mean, hey, fantastic player, this Willie Gay, but, uh, you know, got some, got some character issues, got some things to work on. Uh, I digress on that front. Four-game suspension for Willie Gay. Really, Nick Bolton's going to have to pick it up, but uh, big loss for them on the defensive side. Willie Gay held a whole lot of things together uh, on that front seven for him. Uh, another guy that holds a lot of things together for the Chiefs, Chris Jones, recorded two sacks in this game. Absolute monster in the pass rush, putting pressure on uh, Justin Herbert all day. Uh, the Chiefs' offensive line was impressive as well, though just allowing just one sack against a vaunted Chargers pass rush. You remember they got Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, um, I can't remember. They signed a pretty pretty high uh, high priced defensive tackle in there as well. Uh, rotate in Kyle Van Noy, who's a veteran defensive uh, pass rusher as well. So for the Chiefs' offensive line to come in there with all those guys rushing against them, all those weapons on the defensive side, and to keep Patrick Mahomes clean for the entire day, pretty much. You can't ask for anything more from them. Really proven, once again, one of the top offensive lines in the entire league. 
Uh, some key takeaways. Um, Chargers defense is legit, but without a consistent threat on the ground, that offense is going to struggle to put teams away. And alluded to it a little bit with uh, Austin Eckler, but this is two straight games uh, against two okay but not great front sevens. Uh, and the O-line has failed to create a push and crest the four-yard per carry mark. In the first game, they failed to even crest the three-yard per carry mark. Um, just not going to cut it when you get right down to it. They've got to find a way to get some push on that offensive line. you got an all-pro left tackle in Rashawn Slater. Uh, you got a veteran offensive line outside of Rashawn Slater. you got to find a way to get a running threat. At the very least, it, otherwise you're not going to be able to close out games. And you saw it in this one. They had a 10-point lead. They kept the 10 10-point lead for a while there, but when it came right down to it, they couldn't hold the ball. They kept giving it back to Patrick Mahomes, and we all know what happens when you give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes in the fourth quarter, and it's not good things for your team. Outside of that, though, alluded to it before as well, Mike, Mike Williams can only make contested catches. The best defense for him seems to be just leave him open. I mean, he might drop a few if you leave him open. He's going to have some laser focus and absolutely moss you if you have an undersized corner on him. I just don't know. I don't quite understand it, but I love to watch it. Mike Williams, fantastic, fun player to watch. I feel like a lot like uh, a guy like Kelvin Benjamin was supposed to be coming into the league. Really enjoyed watching him uh, on Thursday night. Uh, outside of that, we knew it before. But it was reaffirmed in this matchup. The Chiefs are never dead as long as Andy Reid is drawing up plays and Pat Mahomes is behind center. No lead is safe whatsoever. I mean, I just talked about it. In the fourth quarter, you give Pat Mahomes the ball and you can't close out the game, you're asking for a death sentence right there. I mean, you have, especially when Pat Mahomes is clean, only gave up one sack the whole game. I mean, that's a nightmare scenario for a defense, especially when the Chiefs are running the ball at will pretty much on the other side. So, I mean, it's it's another great offense for Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid this year. What can I even say? Uh, outside of that, Derwin James probably has a future in WWE with that body slam on Travis Kelsey. And uh, you may remember, picked him up off the ground. Fireman's carried him for a second before turn that sucker U-turn straight drive through the ground, ball pops out, uh, the air pops out of Kelsey's lungs, and from his perspective, my lungs hurt just watching that, because I've had that happen to me before, you try holding on to the ball when your lungs have just been decompressed like a whoopee cushion there on you, I, I understand why uh, Travis Kelsey was laboring after that, that's a hell of a hit by Derwin James, WWE and AEW are about to have a bidding war once he ends his career. Uh, final takeaway for me on this one before we get out of this, because I've already spent over 11 minutes on this game, and we got much, much more to get to. But uh, Justin Herbert might be the next guy to make that elite ascension, but he's still a work in progress as far as I'm concerned. It's not fair to me, uh, not fair of me, rather, to ask of him to, to run for that first down with those cracked ribs. But man, all he had to do was run three yards, step out of bounds, had all the room to do it in the world, Dude didn't even have to get hit at the end of the day, but he just threw it away. He got bailed out on that 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 following play. I mean, he bailed himself out, give him credit where it's due. I mean, threw probably his best ball all night, threw an absolute seed over a cornerback's shoulder straight into the hands of his receiver uh, to get down to the goal line and to set up that touchdown by Josh Palmer. I talked about earlier, but he's going to have to deal with pain again. He might not be so fortunate the next time he misses an easy first like that. I mean, that was fourth and one that he had the team in. And 
Third and one, he had a wide open run to get that first down. I It seems unfair to, to question the guy's toughness, but that was I, my meatball brain, and there was a, there's a good amount of meatball in there, is just like sometimes you got to grit through the pain. And I may be a hypocrite for saying that. I mean, I've, I've had my fair share of injuries as well. But I haven't, I haven't been in, put in the opportunities uh, like Justin Herbert has to, to play through those injuries. So, like, maybe who's to say how I would react in that situation? But elite NFL quarterbacks, I'm just, I'll just put it this way: Aaron Rodgers pushes through that pain, gets that first down, steps out of bounds, basically no matter what. I mean, he's done it with with gimp knees before, gimp ribs, gimp shoulder, you name it. He's been tough enough to, to go through it. Justin Herbert, I think, will learn that in the long run. But, I mean, just, I mean, it's it's very nitpicky because he had a hell of a night. I mean, hell of a, a down-the-stretch play for him outside of that pick six. But, I mean, he's a young QB. You saw it. He's not quite there, but he's he's still earning every bit of that uh, ginormous contract extension he's going to be eligible for after the season. But with that, already spent 13 minutes on this game, so let's crack into that 1 p.m. slate, shall we? And kick it off the 1 p.m. slate, we have got the Jets. Coming from behind to shock the Browns at home in Brownie the Elf's debut. The Browns disgrace Brownie the Elf, losing 31-30 to the lowly Jets. And game summary goes as follows. I mean, surprisingly high-scoring affair uh, for two teams with meh receiving cores and backup QBs throwing them the, throwing the ball to them. That being said... Garrett Wilson, not not bad at all. We'll get to him and his his crazy ass stat line in just a second here. They battled to a 14-14 tie at the half before Cleveland chunted the Jets to the brink of death, uh, outscoring them 16 to three to start the second half. Capped off by Nick Chubb by a Nick Chubb TD with 155 remaining in the game to put the Browns up 30 to 17. You'd think at this point the lead is unassailable. That's Chubb's third TD of the game, first three TD scorer in the league this year. Shout out to NFL Red Zone for just dropping that in my ear. By the way, quick aside, not going to spend too, too long on this because, by the way, got a whole lot of shit to get to, but watch the NFL Red Zone for the first time. Not bad if you don't got a dog in the fight, man. Basically shows you everything you need to see. I mean, I might have to might have to invest in some NFL Red Zone here going forward. That being said, back to the important parts of this, Cade York rookie kicker for the for the Browns crucially missed that extra point uh which would come back to bite them later in short order that's why it's 30 to 17 as opposed to 31 to 17 and let's get to why that's important this was the point where all hell broke loose for the uh for the Browns on the ensuing possession Joe Flacco flexed his elite arm down hitting Corey Davis for a 66 yard touchdown with 122 remaining Crucial time to have a two-play 75-yard drive or whatever it ended up being. Uh, score 30-24 to after that one. From there, chaos ensued on the subsequent onside kick as the ball bounced out of Amari Cooper's grasp uh, and was recovered by the Jets. Then, in one minute, Joe Flacco, the elite QB himself, maybe a top-five QB in the league if we're all being honest with ourselves, uh, drove down the field and capped the Jets' final offensive drive with a 15-yard pass CD to a aforementioned Garrett Wilson. Ended up being the winner with 22 seconds left to put him up for good, 31-30. to What a meltdown from the Browns in this one. Uh, notable performance 
Noble, notable performances, rather, just stumbling right through this. Uh, first off, QB Joe Flacco, the elite one himself, uh, just a shade below 60%, uh, throwing 44 attempts, 59% on the completion, but 304 yards, 7 yards per attempt. I think he had a few of those patented Flacco balls uh, where he just kind of threw it up and got a pass interference. Patented Paco, pa patented Flacco play, rather, uh, something that you come to expect from him. Had four fucking touchdowns in this one. Four touchdowns. No interceptions. Did lose a fumble. But still, four TDs to one turnover. I'll take that every single day of the week. Especially from Joe Flacco. Uh, on the other side, Jacoby Brissett. Surprisingly very, very good in this one. 22 of 27. 81.5% uh, completion. 20, 229 yards. Had a better yards per attempt than Joe Flacco. Very good yards per attempt, actually, with 8.5 yards per attempt. Uh, one touchdown, had one interception as well, but we can forgive him for that when you're throwing over 80% completion and you're, you know, still got a touchdown to match that as well. In the backfield, Brees Hall, rookie, had a solid day. Seven rushes, 50 yards, 7.1 yards per carry. Uh, had a receiving touchdown on his one catch, a 10-yard touchdown, uh, I believe, early in the second half. Uh, outside of that, on the other side, Nick Chubb had a monster day. 87 yards, 5.1 yards per rush, three rushing touchdowns, also added in three receptions, 26 yards through the air to get him over that 100-yard Mendoza line for scrimmage yards. Absolute monster game from Nick Chubb. Really the reason why the Browns got out to that big lead in the first place. In the receiving core, though, for the Jets, Garrett Wilson had a breakout game. Eight receptions, 102 yards, two touchdowns in his uh, second game of his rookie season. Corey Davis... I mean, had that long, long touchdown to give him a solid bit of numbers here. Two receptions, 83 yards, one touchdown, that 66-yarder uh, at a crucial time in the game. On the other side, Amari Cooper in his second game with the Browns had nine receptions, 101 yards, uh, just, just a shade under half of Jacoby Brissett's total production. Also had one touchdown as well. Really, really solid day. Maybe he'll have a, a breakout. Well, maybe he, not breakout. He's an elite sort of wide receiver, but... Maybe he's in for a solid season with uh, Jacoby Brissett, leaning on him a lot. Um, as far as defensive highlights here, Browns linebacker Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, I'm going to get that perfect by the end of the year, led the team with nine tackles, tied for the lead with uh, tackles for loss at two with Anthony Walker. That Browns defense played well for 58 minutes of the game. Unfortunately, it's a 60-minute contest, and they absolutely fell apart in the final two drives. So that's what happens. Leave it to the Browns in front of Brownie the Elf himself to just come out and, and lay an egg. Just take Brownie the Elf off the field. You've already disgraced his likeness. I mean, that smiling little Keebler Elf-looking motherfucker, that cast-out guy from Santa's workshop, I mean, you have soiled his name, he's turning around, he's rolling in his grave right now. He's not dead, he's fully alive, but he wants to die right now. Uh, with that said, some key takeaways. The brow is back, baby. Joe Flacco, Jay Flack, the brow is back. I mean, what can I even say? This is two straight 300-yard performances to start the season. He's not played this well since the Super Bowl run. Is he going to take Zach Wilson's job? I mean, who's to say? Who even knows? They've already ruled out Zach Wilson for several weeks. If Joe Flacco comes out here, puts together, I mean, what is he? 
three and one if he gets into three and one do they maybe not go to go back to, to Zach Wilson only half joking on that one might end up happening uh Zach Wilson isn't exactly great we'll have to watch how that uh comes out uh another takeaway the Browns are still in fact the Browns I mean to give up a 13 point lead in less than two minutes that is I mean only the Browns and the Falcons have that level of suck in them and it is just beautiful to watch when it's happening um Maybe not from a Browns fan perspective, but I would say anyone, any nihilistic football fan who just likes to laugh, that is something you just enjoy watching unravel before your eyes because you can just see it happening all over. I mean, you just you just saw them crumbling down the stretch, and it was, it was beautiful to watch. Uh, another takeaway, though, given Jimmy Haslam's past track record uh, with being impatient with uh, at head coach, Kevin Stefanski might already be on the hot seat. That is something to watch. Um, not good thus far. I don't think they were predicted to be very good this year, but also Jimmy Haslam is not necessarily a rational actor. I think he's the main driving force as to why they brought in the prolific rapist himself. Um, and also he's just, he's fired uh, so many coaches after one year. He kept Hugh Jackson around for three years for some reason, um, completely ruined Baker Mayfield. I have no question in my mind that he could do it again and uh, fire Kevin Stefanski. Uh, that being said, we'll just have to wait and see on that one as well. And the final takeaway I've got from this game, the Jets are still not a real playoff contender, but if nothing else, they're scrappy, competitive, and most importantly, improving along the roster, along the length of the roster. They just shore up that offensive line. I mean, you can't trust Mekhi Becton anymore. I mean, he's been injured every single year. He's been a pro thus far, so... You, you shore up that offensive line in the offseason. You bring in some guys to, to make it better. You don't have a bad team outside of that. I mean, you're going to have to figure out if Zach Wilson is the answer. I think you're probably going to stick with him for a little bit here just to find out. But if not, they're building a good situation for whoever happens to step in there. So I'm really interested to see, maybe not this year, but next year, what the Jets look like, and particularly what Zach Wilson looks like in that pivotal third year, uh, basically contract extension year for him. But with that said, moving on, we have got the Lions staving off Carson Wentz's comeback bid to get their first win of the season, 36-27. to um, Really, the, it was basically all Lions in this one. They, they went up big early, um, then Carson Wentz did his Carson Wentz thing, brought it back to a semi-competitive looking score, but in the end, they never really got close. I mean, Carson Wentz filled out the stat sheet as he is wont to do, but not even, not even really, they, they never really felt like they were going to get back into it. The Lions led the entire way. Uh, some notable performers, Jared Goff had a hell of a performance today, uh, or on Sunday rather, uh. 34 attempts, just under 60%, but had 256 yards, 7.5 yards per attempt, so slightly above average on that one. But most crucially, four touchdowns, zero turnovers, and from Jared Goff, that is absolutely all you can ask. As long as you are not shooting the team in the foot and you are actually producing touchdowns, conversely, that is the best case scenario for Jared Goff. I mean, anything more than that is just cherries on top of whatever whatever dessert pastry you're happen to uh, happen to to put into your fat hole there uh, great way to phrase that anyways on the other side Carson Wentz had 337 yards 65 percent completion 7.3 yards per attempt so not a bad looking day on the stat sheet also three TDs one interception but if you're following the game flow if you're watching it you know that he didn't really turn it on until 
the game was well in hand. The Lions were playing prevent defense, and Carson Wentz was, well, in his element, throwing Carson Wentz balls down the field. Um, he can get you back into a game. It's always yet to be seen, though, whether he can build a lead for you and keep it. That's the main thing. Um, for, the, for the Lions, though, I have no question that they can keep a lead because DeAndre Swift, I mean, absolute monster, needs to get the ball more, but five rushes, 56 yards, I assume that they were taking it a little bit easy with him with that ankle injury that he's nursing. But also, two receptions, 31 yards, got a TD, uh, specifically on that touchdown, spectacular. Actually started out badly, stumbled on his face, but got up, juked out a defender, ran across the field, and ended up getting a first down and a touchdown. Absolutely electric play, completely completely created by DeAndre Swift and his creativity and athleticism after the catch. He is turning into an absolute star in that backfield and a great running mate behind him as well. Great power back. Jamal Williams, 12 rushes, actually doubled up the rushes that DeAndre Swift had. Like I said, nursing that ankle injury is Swift. But 12 rushes, 53 yards, so workmanlike performance, just a, you know, just a shade under four and a half yards per carry, 4.4. No touchdowns, but was a workhorse in that backfield. Constantly punished that uh, that Washington front, uh, made him tired the whole game, uh, opened up some cracks for DeAndre Swift to be an athletic beast later on in the game. Um, on the other side, though, Antonio Gibson, tough day on the ground, 14 rushes, 28 yards for a two-yard per attempt average. Did get a touchdown, but not a whole lot of yardage production. Had two receptions, 13 yards through the air. So just over, just a shade over 40 all-purpose yards. Not a great performance from Antonio Gibson. Great performance from the Lions on the other side to corral him, though. Uh, on the outside for the Lions, I'm on Ross St. Brown. He is an absolute monster, already one of the best receivers in the league. You may not have heard of him. You're going to hear of him going forward. Nine receptions, 116 yards and two touchdowns, but get this, had a, two rushes for 68 yards as well, had a 50-plus yard rush uh, early in the game. He is an absolute offensive weapon, a great receiver, a great runner when you give him the ball. What more can he ask from Amon Ross St. Brown? He is a top 10 wide receiver right now. And by the time it's all said and done, he's only a second-year player with Jared Goff as his quarterback. There's nothing to say. He might not end up, he might end up being like a five, top five wide receiver as I stumble that out of my mouth as much as I possibly can there. I mean, I am tickled to death at what I've seen uh, from Amon Ra as a as a general fan, uh, as a Vikings fan, I'm scared. But as a general fan, as exciting to watch. Uh, on the other side, I mean, say say what you want about the the Commanders. They have a terrible, terrible defense. Uh, quarterback that you can't really trust. But man, their receiving core is great. Curtis Samuel led him led the uh, the pack with seven receptions, 78 yards, a touchdown. Also had one rush for 21 yards in this game, uh, just a shade under 100 yards from scrimmage, had 99. Brutally, brutally short there. Uh, outside of him, though, the real number one receiver in this group, Terry McLaurin, four receptions, 75 yards, no touchdowns to go with it, but a very efficient day on the yards per, per catch average, stretched the field, obviously, and rookie wide receiver Jahan Dotson, completing or continuing his uh, impressive play right out of the gates here, uh, catching his third touchdown on the season, uh, four receptions, 59 yards outside of that. I mean, they have a very, very good receiving core in Washington. They'll be able to score, if nothing else. 
Uh, one big defensive highlight here, the Lions' number two overall pick, Aiden Hutchinson, had a monster game, got three sacks, two tackles for loss after a quiet start versus Philly in this one. Uh, really, if he if he is having a defensive rookie of the year caliber performance, I mean, again, I say it a lot, but to quote the, the great Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof for this team. And uh, maybe not this year, but going forward. Uh, but some key takeaways from this game I got. Touched on it briefly there, but Amon Ross St. Brown is that guy. He's got eight plus catches in eight straight games dating back to the home stretch of last year and has done so while really being the most notable threat in that receiving core. I mean, last year he was really the only threat in the receiving core. This year he's got uh, DJ Chark as his running mate. Still got TJ Hawkinson, who he had last year, but still not enough threats to where you, you can't like you can't afford to not, well, you can't afford to double, sorry, what, am I not making sense? I'm definitely not making sense to myself. You, you, you still can double Amon Ross St. Brown is what I'm getting to, which is makes it insane at the fact that he's been so efficient, been so good in the receiving game. I expect great things from him going forward. I mean, you get a quarterback in there, this, this is going to be popping, which brings me to my next point. The Lions offense is legit top half of the league. Uh, if they had a QB who was better than Jared Goff under center, this could be a top 10 unit in the entire league this year. They got a stacked offensive line, two very good backs, and a solid top two receivers in DJ Chark and the great Amon Ross St. Brown, who I have done nothing but sing his praises for today, so I'll you know stop singing them too, too much. Uh, but that brings me to my next point, even. Why not take it a step further? I'm starting to get a little worried that the Lions are putting together the foundations of a really solid football team here. Uh, as a Vikings fan, it feels like another contender is on the rise here. I mean, they still need to grab a few more pieces. Uh, the defense in particular needs some work on the back end. But Aiden Hutchinson looks like he's going to be a game changer. Penny Sewell has been a stalwart from day one on that offensive line. Really shored up the entire thing. Made them one of the top units in the league. And if Jamison Williams comes off the pup list and is as advertised, this is going to be a hell of a situation for whatever young QB the Lions decide to take, either this draft or the next one. Again, as a general fan, I'm excited to watch what the Lions do going forward. As a Vikings fan, I am terrified to see that they are slowly but surely building a very, very good program down there in Detroit, or rather up there in Detroit. Anyways, as far as a conclusion for the Red Army goes on the other side, um, one, you've got to fire Jack Del Rio. I mean, he has not, he wasn't good last year, he wasn't good this year, he's just been skating by off that one good year he had in his first season with the team. Basically, and the fact that he's he's boys with Ron Rivera for this entire time. I mean, he's out there making he's out there making jokes about well, maybe not making jokes, but saying things that you shouldn't say as a coach about Janu the January sixth debacle that happened there. Um, all the stuff. I mean, you can you can accept a little bit of that that political uh, opinionating if uh, if on the other side he's doing well on the field, but his defense has been have been gashed. Time and time again, he doesn't have great personnel to work with, but his scheme hasn't been doing them any favors as well. Um, just get Jack Del Rio out of there. Get a get a young sort of mind in there. Like think about a Jonathan Gannon type. You probably can't poach him from inside the division with the Eagles to come on over. Specifically, since he's probably going to take a head coaching job after this season. But at the end of the day, you got to bring in someone with a fresh look at it. Jack Del Rio simply is not cutting it. Two. 
Carson Wentz is never going to win a Super Bowl as a starter. Just too many what-the-fuck plays sandwiched between spectacular ones for me. To me, Carson Wentz is essentially a more religious, bit more awkward Jay Cutler. Um, he can win you a game all by himself, and he can lose you the game all by himself, usually in the exact same game, maybe in the same quarter, perhaps even the same series. He is, he is a guy that is fun to watch from afar, a nightmare to watch if you are a fan of the team that he is on. Uh, that being said, on that doom and gloom note, why not get into the next game? Because we are already 30 minutes into this thing. So, you know, let's, let's crack the uh, the Saints-Bucks game open. Jameis Winston shoots the Saints in the foot, basically shoots that foot off as the Bucks grind out a 20-10 win. Uh, summary of this one, Alvin Kamara sat out this game with a fractured rib cartilage. Same injury, actually, as Justin Herbert sustained. So, you know, maybe give Justin Herbert a little bit more credit for his toughness there. My bad. I'll, I'll lean back a little bit on that. Tough game to watch, though, if you're a fan of offense. Uh, the Saints defense had another characteristically stingy performance against the Bucks, taking it to half. 3-3. Uh, three, three. Then Jameis decided it was time to break this game open. He threw all three of his interceptions in the second half, two of which were caught by Jamel Dean. Solid performance for him. The game culminated in the fourth quarter when Mike Evans and Marcus Lattimore remade each other's acquaintance, getting in the third fight head-to-head -head over the course of their careers. Both players were ejected, and Mike Evans got slapped with a one-game suspension on Monday, handed down from the league for kicking off the festivities with a two-hand shove straight to Marshawn Lattimore's upper chest, lower throat area. Maybe there was a little bit of flop from, well, maybe not flop, but I've done this before in basketball where you don't flop, but you also don't give very much resistance either. You just kind of let the force do what the force does. And you know what? It looked really bad for, uh, well, not really bad, but it looked bad for Mike Evans there. He gets slapped with a suspension again. Uh, that being said, after that, the wheels fell off for the Saints as the Bucks ended the game on a 17-3 run. Um, not great overall for the Saints. 20-10, um, that final score. Um, notable performances here. Jameis Winston talked about it before. Solid, I mean, for Jameis Winston purposes, solid completion percentage on 40 attempts with a 62.5% completion, uh, only 236 yards, just below 6 yards per attempt, so not really going to cut it there. Also, had one touchdown, three interceptions, all of which in the second half, like I talked about. Reportedly, there's four fractured, he has four fractured vertebrae, but hey, it's fine. Throw some extra padding in there. Got, like, I don't know, he's got a fucking, like, puffy coat on underneath like underneath his uniform so the hits don't hurt as much i don't know seems like a big old pile of bullshit that uh that that jay glazer was trying to throw out there to kind of you know make it make it smooth over smooth over some uh some storylines i think you know that's it's it's an interesting game being an insider they shape a lot of narratives uh in order to build relationships that seems like one where jay glazer's like you know trying to stick up for a player to show that player that maybe he can trust him going forward in the future. Not not any inside knowledge there, obviously, just reading the political tea leaves. That would make a lot of sense from Jake Glazer's perspective. Uh, that being said, bad, bad game from Jameis Winston. You saw a lot of the Tampa Jameis, the bad Tampa Jameis at that in this game. Uh, QB Tom Brady on the other side, 
Didn't do great, but won the game. Uh, 52% completion on 34 attempts, just a shade over 50% there. Uh, had 190 yards, actually had a lower yards per attempt average than Jameis did with 5.6 yards per attempt. Uh, one touchdown, no interceptions, but lost a fumble. So one-to-one -one touchdown interception ratio. I believe the Bucks did end up winning the turnover battle, which... Low bar to clear when Jameis Winston is just going full Jameis in the second half. So, had, I mean, he looked angry. He did end up, I mean, if you want to be technical about it, he's the one that turned around and said, fuck you, bitch, straight in Marshawn Lattimore's face, which, when you pull out the bitch word in another man's face, I mean, you're asking for some sort of altercation. What the hell was, what the hell was Marcus Lattimore supposed to do, or Marshawn Lattimore, excuse me, supposed to do in that situation? I mean, from there... What happened was inevitable. You get into the quarterback's face, someone's going to retaliate like that. It just happened to be Mike Mike Evans once again remaking his acquaintance with Marshawn Lattimore. What are you going to do? That being said, other key performances in this one. Leonard Fournette, 24 rushes, 65 yards. Workman like 2.7 yards per carry. Not great on the ground, but you were also facing the Saints defense, who has historically owned the, the uh, Bucks offense. They kind of did it again in this one. Just Jameis Winston gave him so many gifts on the other side. On on the Saints side, rather, uh, Mark Ingram, solid game in, in spelling for uh, uh, Alvin Kamara, rather. Uh, 10 rushes, 60 yards, no touchdowns, but was efficient with that six yards per attempt. Uh, did end up fumbling the ball, though, which did cost him in addition to all those Jameis Winston uh, interceptions as well. Uh on the other side, though, in the receiving core, Mike Evans, before he got rejected, three receptions, 61 yards. Uh, Marshawn Lattimore more or less did his job there, but they needed Marshawn Lattimore to stay in the game. Obviously, they missed him a lot because, I mean, the the the, the Brady was unstopped in the fourth quarter. What can I say? I mean, that was probably about, about the most awkward way I could have phrased that, but Brady was absolutely unstoppable in the fourth quarter. It happened... Not coincidentally, after Marshawn Lattimore was out there, you need him to stay in the game on this one. But I digress on that front. Uh, outside of Mike Evans, Brashad Perryman was the second receiver for Brady in this one with three receptions, 45 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, starting to look a lot like the end of his time with the Patriots, but not quite that bad. You are going to get Chris Godwin back at some point. You're going to get Mike Evans back after one game. So don't want to overreact on that one, but a little thin on, thin on the wide receiver core. They just... Uh, they just signed the mad anti-vaxxer himself, uh, Cole, not Cole Strange, <laughs> Cole Strange is with the Patriots, uh, Cole Beasley uh, to the practice squad, I think they're probably going to sign him to the active roster, he'll probably play a fairly pivotal role in next week's game for the Bucks. that'll be something to watch, uh, maybe not as a fantasy owner, but if you're a gambler like myself, might be uh, might be a good prop to look at with the Scotty Miller, not Scotty Miller, Scotty Miller's the guy they, they already have on the roster, uh, with uh, Cole Beasley on that team, look at me just get my white my white wide receivers all mixed up but with that said on the other side Chris Olave had a very good game five receptions 80 yards Michael Thomas had a solid game in his own right six receptions 65 yards one touchdown to add as well on defense Devin White was everywhere at once for the Bucks totaling 11 tackles uh, including a sack and a pass battered away Bucks pass rusher Shaq Barrett executed his job to perfection against the Saints, racking up two tack or two sacks as well. Uh, dominant performance for the Bucks defense, if nothing else in this one. Some key takeaways I have: uh, Jameis may not be the guy in New Orleans. Uh, my God, is he entertaining! But like Carson Wentz, way too many fuck it balls when it matters most. Uh, 
Got to be better when it's all said and done for Jameis Winston. Feels like they're going to be drafting a quarterback at the end of the year. Uh, also, probably bringing in some linemen because they do look a little bit weak along that offensive line. Weaker than they have been in the past if you're if you're a Saints fan watching this over time. Uh, so, it's a good year to be drafting a quarterback. I'll just put it that way. I digress on that front. Next key takeaway I had, I give all sorts of love to the Saints defense, but the Bucks have been very stingy to start the season. They've been better than just about anyone else in that division to start the season. Granted, they played a bereft Cowboys offense and an Alvin Kamara-less uh, Saints offense, but this is back-to-back dominant performances for that Bucks defense. If they can continue it against a, a solid offensive attack, an offensive attack that really threatens you down the field and on the ground, I'll be super, super impressed. But... Still in wait-and-see mode. They have very good pieces in place there. Next key takeaway I had, Chris Olave is the real deal opposite of Michael Thomas. Olave was consistently beating one-on-one coverage all day on the outside, but Jameis Winston failed to capitalize time and time again. He should have had well over 100 yards, ended up with that five receptions, 80 yards anyways, but he was targeted 13 times to get those five receptions. That's four more than any other receiver. The next receiver was Michael Thomas, who you may remember once setting the receptions record uh, back when he was pre-ankle injury with Drew Brees as the quarterback, and he's still having prolific catching seasons as well. That just goes to show you how prolific Chris Olave was at beating that one-on-one coverage. If he can be as advertised as that, as that uh, number one pick in the first round for him, I mean, Jameis Winston, got to pick it up because you've got some weapons on the outside. I'm very excited to see Chris Olave, how he progresses throughout the season. Going to be interesting to see how he performs up into that rookie wall and after that rookie wall. Something to watch going forward from everyone there. Uh, My last takeaway from this game, Brady has been more demonstrably angry on the field this season than at any point in his Bucks tenure, and I... like it has to do with the family situation. Not going to get too gossipy on this one, but it doesn't seem like a coincidence that he uh, goes in that 11-day hiatus in training camp and comes back and just feels angrier. I mean, maybe it's due to the lack of weapons. We saw how he reacted to not having very many weapons at the end of his time in uh, in, the, in Patriot land, in New England there. Um, but at the same time, you feel like he's a bit more angry right now. I don't know. I can't really put my finger on it completely, but he's out there getting in defenders' faces, talking shit, screaming at his team, like aggressively screaming at his team. Feels like on a series-by-series basis. I mean, feels like that 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 Bucks offense is just in an abusive relationship with Tom Brady. Tom Brady never gives them the love that they want and, and need as human beings, but... I don't know. I feel like it has a lot to do with some marital troubles. Feels like this has to be Brady's last year if he doesn't want uh, things to fall apart in the personal life. That's really, I'm just going to leave it at that and move on forward to the next. I mean, again, if you like defense, this is a great one for you. But the Giants grinded their way to a 2-0 start to start the season, beating the Panthers 19-16 and dropping them to 0-2 in what might be Matt Rule's final season as the Panthers head coach. 
This was the field goal fest of the week here. Uh, we got two questionable QBs and two defenses that played very well in this one. Neither team got 300 yards of total offense. Uh, if you had Graham Gano or Eddie Pinheiro in your fantasy football league, you feel like a genius right now, especially if you're one of those fast and loose players that picks up a kicker on the waiver wire uh, every week. I... I, I commend you for doing so if that's what you did. Uh, that being said, no one cares about your fantasy team moving forward. Uh, start the... the, the whew, easy for me to say, right? Uh, score at the half was 6-6. Six, six. Offenses heated up from the Arctic, from Arctic cold rather, uh, to tempered, temp, tepid temperature uh, in the third. As each team scored a TD on a long drive, their only offensive TDs on the day all happened in the third quarter. From there, the two teams exchanged field goals to start the fourth before Daniel Jones led a seven-minute 12-second clutch drive to get the Giants into field goal range for the go-ahead field goal to win this one 19-16 before the teams basically just punted out to end the game. Uh, notable performers in this one, Baker Mayfield finished just a shade under 50%, 19 of 29 through the air, 145 yards, just five yards per attempt. Uh, one TD, no turnovers, but if you're throwing below 50%, that just will not cut it. On the other side, Daniel Jones, a little bit better, uh, 64.7% on 34 attempts, uh, 176 yards, 5.2 yards per attempt, so still not great, uh, but had the one touchdown, no interceptions, did not shoot his team in the foot, as did Baker Mayfield in this one, so not great from the QBs, not terrible either, I guess I would imagine. Uh, Saquon Barkley, the star of last week, getting that monster performance of damn near 200 scrimmage yards, had a solid performance in this one, 72 rushing yards, just below 4 yards per attempt, though, 3.4 yards per carry, uh, 3 receptions, 106, no, not 116 yards, that would be an incredible performance, but just 16 yards on those 3 receptions, actually. Uh, on the other side, Christian McCaffrey, very, very good performance, seems to be back to his old ways, uh, 15 rushes, 102 yards, 6.8 yards per attempt, highlighted by, I believe it was a 50-yard run uh, in the second half at one point. Zero TDs, though, probably one a little bit better, but he's the one offensive player that scares the absolute shit out of you if you're the defense. Also threw him four receptions, 26 yards to put him at 128 yards from scrimmage. Very good day for Christian McCaffrey overall. Uh, in the receiving game, Richie James went five receptions, 51 yards for the Giants. He was their best receiver on the day. DJ Moore was the best receiver for the Panthers on the other side. Three receptions, 43 yards, and caught that one TD from Baker Mayfield. Uh, the Giants' safety, Julian Love, led the team in tackles with eight solo, all, all solo rather, and got two sacks for two TFLs. Very solid game for him from that linebacker spot. And the Panthers linebacker, Frankie Louvu, completely wrecked the, the Giants in the middle of the of the game, or in the middle all game, rather. Whew, get, got that one out there. Uh, had 10 tackles, all of them solo as well. Four tackles for loss, which led all players, regardless of team, a uh, very, very good game from him. Very good game from the defenses in general in this one. Got two key takeaways for this one. First off, Baker Mayfield is not a long-term starter in the NFL. I'm, I'm calling it now at this point. I've seen enough. I've spoken in optimistic terms about him in the past, thinking, hey, 
He just needs some solid receivers, and he might be, you know, you know, might might show some consistency rather. Type that out, dumb as hell. Uh, but he just doesn't have the physical tools to make it happen when it's all said and done. I mean, he was he has happy feet in the pocket, which he's always had ever since he came into the league. And at year five, I'm fairly certain that's never going to change at this point. Uh, he doesn't have the natural athleticism or arm talent to compensate for the fact that he never throws off a solid platform as well. So he throws a bunch of ducks out there, throws a bunch of bad balls, uh, seems rushed, seems uncomfortable all the time. Couple those th- two things together, and you've got a mediocre QB at best, I'd say. I'd say his ceiling is a highly paid transition QB, much like we've seen Mitch Trubisky, uh, Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater, and a host of other veterans develop into when it's all said and done. He can still make a hell of a lot of money, but Pro Bowls and MVPs, most likely not in the cards for Baker Mayfield when it's all said and done. Um, I guess if you want to consider him a draft bust, I mean, he was the number one overall pick, so you expect that guy to, at the very least, make some Pro Bowls and stick around for a while. So I guess you could say Baker Mayfield has been a, a bit of a bust. Very much so a disappointment, if nothing else, for the Browns fans and, well, now the Panthers fans. But not too disappointing when you consider the fact that uh, Sam Darnold is the backup. So it's all about perspective, isn't it? Um, My other key takeaway, one that I kind of just uh, off the top, not really off the top of the dome, but I saw it on Twitter. I can't for the life of me remember who the tweet was from. I did retweet it on my Twitter timeline, though, so if you want to go back and look at specifically what I'm referring to, uh, that might be informative for this, but that guy brought up a good point. Matt Rule going to Nebraska, and I'm basically quoting him word for word for word here, uh, essentially solves everyone's problems. I mean, the Panthers, obviously, Matt Rule is not long for that job with the Panthers. It was a mistake to hire him. He's not done well, really, in one season thus far. I mean, at this point, you got to get in a guy who is known a known NFL commodity, hire from an NFL pool instead of a college pool. Matt Rule, on the other hand, every college he went to, from Temple to Baylor to, I mean, not the Panthers, but every college that he went to, he ended up turning that program into a ranked, if not top 10 sort of squad. I mean, he's been very good really built a program from the from the ground up at every single college he went to. He is the one person I think that might be able to solve Nebraska's problems. I think that's a slam dunk hire uh, from both perspectives, from the Panthers' perspective and from Nebraska's perspective. Uh, have to see if, um, well, the, I'll just put it this way. There's a reason that David, David Tepper got so stinking rich, and it's not because he let guys go for free, even if he doesn't really want them around. I would I would guess that Nebraska is going to have to pay a little bit of a buyout fee to uh, David Tepper to kind of offset the cost on his end. But at the end of the day, Matt Rule to Nebraska just makes way too much sense. That is the best uh, option, uh, and I would give credit to the guy. I might even link the tweet in the uh, in the description of this podcast just so you can know specifically who I'm talking about because it was a great point. I'm not sure if it's an original point by him. But it was an absolutely fantastic point that I wholeheartedly subscribe to. Matt Rule to Nebraska. I'm start not starting the campaign, but I'm hopping right on that train on the early part. One of the first stops that it takes. So with that said, gotta move along to the next uh, one of the one o'clock games here. Patriots, Patriots rather 
eke out a win over the Steelers in hostile territory at Akershire Stadium there, 17-14. to uh, T.J. Watt with the headset on, on and the mouthpiece on the sideline, football guy. What, what more is there to say? He's ready to go in there, even with a fucked up peck. I mean, on IR, not physically possible for him to play given the rules of the NFL, but he's ready to suit up if need be in there. Just a football guy through and through. Steelers missed him in this one too as they struggled to put any pressure on Mac Jones all day. Highlights of the game, highlight of the game rather, was Mac Jones throwing a 50-50 ball to Nelson Aguilar who mossed the hell out of whichever poor cornerback was in coverage on that particular play for a 44-yard touchdown with 22 seconds left in the first half to give them a pretty good lead there. Uh, pivotal sequence that ultimately won the game, however, for the Patriots. Came with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Gunnar Olszewski muffed the punt deep in his own territory, and the Pats recovered it. Three plays later, Damian Harris scored a TD to put the Pats up 17-6, a lead that was ultimately insurmountable. The, the Steelers, to their credit, came back on the next drive and scored a touchdown, but Mitch Trubisky showed his colors down the stretch with two two straight three and outs on their final two offensive possessions before the Pats took the air out of the ball for the final 6.33 of the game. I mean, criticize the offense. I mean, it, there's a lot of criticizable pieces for the Raven, for the, uh, not the Ravens, for the, the Patriots here. But finishing out the final 6.33 against a solid defensive front, just killing the clock for that final 6.33, nothing short of absolutely impressive from the Patriots and Mac Jones, so got to give kudos there. Uh, Key performances in this one, Mac Jones threw right on the dot 60%, 21 of 35 through the air, 252 yards, 7.2 yards per attempt, so basically average across the board on those numbers. Had a touchdown and an interception that was, frankly, terrible. Not good. Another one of those where you kind of scratch your head through it straight into triple coverage on that one. But uh, not a bad day overall for Mac Jones. Eked out the win, if nothing else. Mitch Trubisky, on the other hand, 63.6% completion, so not bad. Uh, 168 yards, 5.1 yards per attempt. One touchdown, one interception. Those numbers, simply not going to cut. We're going to talk about him in just a second in the takeaways uh, on the in the backfield, uh, Patriots duo of Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson had a solid day. Damian Harris, in particular, led the way. 15 rushes, 71 yards so for just short of five yards per carry. Make that 4.7. Also had a TD, two receptions, 16 yards to the air as well. Productive day for him. Ramondre Stevenson, powerful, athletic back out of the backfield there. Nine rushes, 47 yards, punished the defense, got over five yards per carry, led the way in that stat for the Patriots. Najee Harris on the other side, he is getting killed play after play. 15 rushes, 49 yards, looks a whole lot like it did uh, last season along that offensive line. Not a good sign for him, but made some great contributions through the air. Five receptions, 40 yards, moved the ball that way for the team, if nothing else. Um... On the outside, talked about it earlier. Talked about him earlier. Nelson Aguilar had a monster game. Six, recep- six receptions, 110 yards, one touchdown. Uh, led the way by the by a mile for the Patriots in this one. Well, I guess not by a mile because Jacoby Myers. I mean, I wrote this down. Feel like I would have remembered that. Nine receptions, 95 yards, no touchdowns, but still nine receptions, 95 yards. I mean, that that accounted for him plus Aguilar accounted for. Basically all of his uh, his yardage production in this one. 90, 100, 
or 205 out of the 252 total yards for Mac Jones in this one. Uh, very much relying on Aguilar and Jacoby Myers. Uh, on the other side, uh, big highlight players for them. I mean, when Mitch Trubisky throws under 200 yards, under 170, in fact, not going to be a whole lot of opportunities for big plays if you're a Steelers receiver. Deontay Johnson had six receptions, 57 yards to lead the way. Solid, steady receiver there. He's on pace for, well, he's going to have another 100-catch season. It seems only uh, inevitable on that one. Pat Fryermuth caught the one touchdown, had four receptions, 22 yards, and that touchdown on the day in total. Uh, zero sacks as a team for the Steelers in their first game without T.J. Watt. Not a good sign going forward. Brought it up last week. They've got some real pass rush problems. We'll talk about that more in a second. Uh, outside of that, though, linebacker Miles Jack for the Steelers, I mean, he is an absolute monster. Let all players in the game with 13 total tackles, was all over the field in this one, and looks looks to be worth the money that they paid for him on that Steelers defense. If nothing else, they got some monster personnel in that front seven, just no pass rush, which brings me to my first key takeaway. The Steelers are going to have some real pass rush problems until T.J. Watt comes back. Even with him back in the lineup, we still don't know how much that torn peck is going to limit his effectiveness on the field. You would assume that he's going to play through it because he's a he's a cyborg that knows knows no pain, only plays football no matter what. I mean, he sits in frozen lakes with his brother in the offseason, way up in Alaska, Canada, wherever the hell they've got their, uh, Wisconsin, I don't know, wherever they've got their cabin set up there. Every other level of this defense is very good to elite, but without a pass rush up front, Cracks will begin to form in the secondary. You saw that at various points today. They played very well, but not well enough to stave off the Patriots and not well enough to keep the Patriots from going up 11 points and essentially sealing the game in that second half. Um, building off of that, though, we're really not building off of that. I mean, that's its own thing. Pass rush is going to have to be something that the uh, the Steelers address. Not sure how they can address it, though. Going to have to get more creative blitzes in there, if nothing else. Next key takeaway, Kenny Pickett will be the Steelers' starting QB by week four. Mark my words, Trubisky is simply not playing up to par right now. He's going to have to be much better if he wants to keep that job longer than week four. Basically doing the same things that Big Ben was doing to hold back the offense last season, except he's got a little bit better mobility. He can run the ball. He's a run threat. That's about, about the only upgrade over what Big Ben brought to you last year, though. He doesn't push the ball down the field, and he still has that tendency we witnessed in Chicago to throw balls in triple coverage at bad times, un unopportune times of the game. Sooner or later, the floodgates are going to open. Trubisky's going to have a real bad game. Then Kenny Pickett is going to come in and never leave that lineup again. We've seen it time and time again with guys like Mike Glennon, uh, with Tyrod Taylor at certain points in his career. Teams are just waiting for that incumbent starting QB to mess up, to to drop, I mean, have have one of those three interception performances, uh, two interceptions and a half, maybe a fumble here or there. They're going to yank him at halftime. Kenny Pickett's never going to look back. And this is exactly uh, shaping up how you would want to for a transition QB to uh, gracefully step aside for the new guy to come in. And moving on to the next one, one that we'll only touch on quickly because it was a blowout from start to finish. Jaguars once again. Pissed in the Colts Cheerios, shutting them down, uh, shutting them out rather, 24 to nothing at home. This is the Colts' first shutout since 2017 to, who, who'd you think? The, the, not the Chargers, the Jaguars. 
stuck the landing on that one. And also, by the way, first time the, uh, the, the Jaguars have had a shutout since 2017. The Colts, I'm sensing a pattern here. Uh, 24-0 the final score in this one. Disappointing game for Matt Ryan and that Colts offense. Straight domination from start to finish for the Jags. Trevor Lawrence had probably his best game as a pro. Matt Ryan looked every bit of 37 years old. Every minute of it, in fact. Uh, notable performers in this one. Just mentioned it. Trevor Lawrence, probably the best game of his career. 25-30 for an 83% completion percentage. 235 yards, 7.8 yards per attempt, a little above average there. Two TDs, no turnovers, fantastic game from Lawrence. Flash those traits that you saw coming out of college, why he was the number one overall pick when it was all said and done. QB Matt Ryan on the other side, though, different story. 16 to 30, just a shade over 50%, 195 yards, 6.5 yards per attempt, no touchdowns, and three turnovers. Worst case scenario, all hell broke loose. I mean, he got sacked seven times. That Colts offensive line that was supposed to be very, very good, looking suspect to start the year against two teams that they were expected to win against, but, well, didn't win in either of them. Tied one, lost the other. Not looking good. We'll talk about a little bit more of what what the fall of this might be in the key takeaways, but in the backfield, for the Jaguars, first off, James Robinson had a workmanlike 23 uh, rushes, 64 yards, just below three yards per carry, but did have the touchdown. Also caught two balls out of the backfield for 17 yards, so did his job there. Scored, got on the board. Um, outside of that, on the other side, Jonathan Taylor, they saved his legs a little bit in this one because they were never really in it more of a passing sort of game, and more of a game where they didn't have the ball a whole lot when it was all said and done. So, nine rushes, 54 yards, six yards per carry, even for Jonathan Taylor. Quiet day for him, and I would know. He was on my fantasy team. Not great. Again, who cares about your fucking fantasy team? Move on. I will. All right. On the outside for the Jaguars, Christian Kirk had another great game, second great game in a row. as uh, He's living up to that contract thus far. Six receptions, 78 yards, Two touchdowns in his second game with the team. That's now two touchdowns into two games. Uh, also, I believe, averaging about 90 yards per game, having a very, very good start as a Jacksonville Jaguar. Outside of him, though, Evan Ingram led the team in uh, in receptions with seven receptions, 46 yards. Really acted as that security blanket for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, allowed him to be as efficient as he was in this one. Very good game from Evan Ingram. On the other side... Michael Pittman was out. Um, I believe Alec Pierce was out with a concussion. That's your top two receivers out right there. Paris Campbell was the top receiver. Got two targets the whole game. Uh, was non-existent. No impact. No no stats whatsoever pretty much outside of the targets. Uh, Ashton Doolin, really the only one that did anything for the Colts. Uh, five receptions. 79 yards in this one. Uh, the Jaguar, Jaguars had a field day on defense. Safety Rashawn Jenkins defended four passes, batted him away, and linebacker Devin Lloyd batted away three passes of his own. Defensive end Roy Robertson-Harris collected a sack and two tackles for loss. Linebacker Josh Allen, not the QB, but the linebacker, uh, continued to be a dominant pass-rushing force, racking up two sacks uh, en route to this 24-0 shutout. Key takeaways in this one, first and foremost, Tony Khan has to be putting sedatives in the Colts' Gatorade when they come into town because... There is no reason the Jaguars should have won eight straight years 
in a row against the Colts at home. I mean, it is absolutely insane. They've had a worse team every single year in that run and have somehow found a way to win every single time. It makes zero sense. Tony Khan has to be poisoning the well. It's the only thing that makes sense in my mind. In all seriousness, though, getting back to the serious analysis, yeah, analysis, that's definitely how you say that. Frank Reich and Chris Ballard's seats are getting very, very warm right now. Excellent draft record for Ballard in a lot of areas, but he's failed to replenish the receiving core after T.Y. Hill fell off and regressed last season. And he's now brought in two very old QBs by NFL standards and Carson Wentz over the last three years. Trading draft capital for both Ryan and Wentz in particular, on Frank Reich's part, he's been unable to score some critical at some critical uh, junctures. I uh, remember last year at at Jacksonville to end the season, lost that to lose a playoff spot, which was winning your in sort of situation, unforgivable to lose that game. I mean, he's seemingly forgotten that Jonathan Taylor's been on the roster at, at different points too, and it's very concerning that he's done that. Uh, with an owner like Jim Ursay, who has been very vocal about wanting to see another Super Bowl before his expiration, they'd actually said he wanted to see multiple Super Bowls in the next decade, just as soon as, uh, just as recently as last year. If this team doesn't make the playoffs this year, I could very easily see the Colts clearing the deck and starting over at the top, getting Chris Ballard out of there, getting Frank Reich out of there. I, I think that might be a slight overreaction. I think Chris Ballard is still a very, very good GM. I mean, drafters like him don't come along every day. He's a very special talent when it comes to drafting. That talent has not translated to wide receivers, however. And if there's one thing I can promise you, I mean, looking at Rick Spielman, if you are just not very good at drafting a couple positions, that is good enough to lose you your job. So going to have to pick it up if you're Chris Ballard, if you are Frank Reich, because everything is riding on this season and the results of this season. I don't think Jim Irsay is going to give them another uh, hard reset, another chance to make this right after three attempts at this point. Um, but with that said, moving on, the Dolphins make a big comeback on the road to stun the Ravens in a wild one, 42-38. to Wildest game of the entire Sunday slate. We got a whole lot of spectacular offensive plays and a cursory amount of defense played. This was essentially like a college game with better players and coaches. Fireworks out of the gate in this one as Devin DuVernay returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown to start a dominant first half, kick off a dominant first half for Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar threw three touchdown passes all in the second quarter, starting with a 75-yard bomb to Rashad Bateman. Rashad Bateman, rather, excuse me. Um, it looked like Mike McDaniel was about to have his cliche welcome to the NFL moment as head coach of the Dolphins. Uh... Went into the half 28-7, to down 21 points. To make it worse, Lamar Jackson bailed out a struggling Ravens backfield by reeling off a 79-yard touchdown run at the end of the third to put the Ravens back up 21 points, 35-14 to entering the fourth quarter. He becomes the first player in league history to throw a 75-yard touchdown and run for a 75-plus yard touchdown in the same game. Best running quarterback of all time. There's really no debating it at this point. But the Dolphins' speed shine in the second half, particularly the fourth quarter, where Tyreek Hill scored a 48-yard TD and a 60-yard TD, and Jalen Waddell caught the game-winning touchdown with 14 seconds remaining. The Dolphins outscored the Ravens 28-3, that sounds familiar, in the fourth quarter to pull off the improbable comeback 
and improve to 2-0 in Mike McDaniel's rookie head coaching season. What a comeback. What a game for the Ravens. If you had no, if you had the over in this one, you were having a field day. If you had the under in this one, you're a soulless human being and should look yourself in the mirror anyways. Notable performers in this one, most notable of all, even with Lamar Jackson in the game, Tua Tagovailoa had maybe the best game he's going to have in his entire career. 36 of 50 for a 72% completion percentage, 469 yards, 9.4 yards per attempt, 6 touchdown passes, had two interceptions, both to Marcus Williams, but a hell of a day, a hell of a fourth quarter at that for Tua Tagovailoa. Mispronounced it the first time, made up for it the second time. Here we are. On the other side, though, Lamar Jackson, not to be outdone, over 400 total yards of his own, I believe, 437 yards to be exact, total yards. Uh, 21 of 29, 72.4% completion to slightly edge Tonga Vailoa's total there. 318 yards to the air, 11 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no turnovers, also threw in nine rushes for 119 yards and one TD, obviously bolstered by that 79-yard touchdown run. One of the best players in the entire league. What can I say? The best quarterback matchup in the entire league and an instant classic. I mean, for Mike McDaniels to go through Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh in back-to-back weeks, you have got to be giddy if you are a Miami Dolphins fan. Touch on that a little bit more in a second. In the backfield, um, no real notable performers outside of Lamar Jackson for the Ravens, but on the Dolphins side, Raheem Mostert uh, rushed for 11, 11 rushes, 51 yards, making 4.6 yards per attempt. No touchdowns, but also threw in three receptions, 28 yards on the day. Uh, Chase Edmonds actually led the way in, in yards per attempt with five rushes, 33 yards on the ground for a 6.6 Hail Satan sort of number there. Um, solid day in the backfield. Mike McDaniel's uh, highly touted rushing scheme really showing its head there uh, in this game. Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, though, became the first receiving pair in NFL history, I believe, to have at 11 receptions over 170 yards. Tyree Kill with that monster fourth quarter ended up with 11, 11 receptions, 190 yards, two touchdowns. Jalen Waddle had 11 receptions, 171 yards, two touchdowns of his own. All of those touchdowns coming in the second half, uh, both coming in the fourth quarter for Tyreek Hill, uh, one coming in the third quarter, one coming in the fourth quarter for Jalen Waddle. Actually, that's a lie. He had one in the first half, so completely just capping there. Don't believe everything you hear, here, folks. Uh, outside of them, though, Mike Gusecki had four touchdowns, 41 yards, one touchdown, and possibly the worst gritty of all time. Looked like a Bigfoot trying to do the, the gritty. That's the best way I can describe it. Looked like a silverback gorilla uh, running across the field with those long-ass arms, uh, moving robotically as, as all hell. Um, but solid day for Mike Kosicki overall. Got his first touchdown of the season, I do believe. Uh, on the other side, Rashad Bateman starting to show why he was a first-round pick back when he was a first-round pick. I can't remember if that was 2020 or 2021 when he was a first-round pick, but... I digress. Had four receptions, 108 yards, one touchdown. That came on that 75-yard bomb uh, from Lamar Jackson. Tight end, Mark Andrews led the way outside of him, though. Nine receptions, 104 yards, one touchdown as well. Miami defensive tackle Christian Wilkins on the defensive side ran that line of scrimmage in this game, leading the team in tackles as well as tackles for loss with two 
Runners not named Lamar Jackson combined for just a total of 36 yards on 16 carries, and you can trace that back directly to how dominant Christian Wilkins was on that inside against that young center, that young interior offensive line there. Uh, Ravens safety Marcus Williams caught both of two as INTs. Like I said before, that was the uh, that was the main sort of highlight for the Ravens on defense. Not really a whole lot of defensive highlights when you get right down to it. The final score was 42 to 38. So. Not a whole lot of defense being played overall. Uh, one sack between these teams, and that was just just Justin Houston early in the game. So no defense whatsoever harping on that last point. Key takeaways for me, the way Mike McDaniel seemed completely unfazed by the enormous deficit his team faced in the fourth, and the way he was able to brilliantly scheme up plays, Dolphins might just have their guy for the foreseeable future. And the Chris Greer of it all is still looming large here. There's no guarantee that the Dolphins will really ever win anything under McDaniel or put a good team around him. But if that's the case, I don't think it will be his fault at the end of the day. I think Mike McDaniels, or Mike McDaniel rather, is going to be a very good coach in this league. Have to see how he uh, performs once teams have some tape on him and how what kind of adjustments he makes off of that. Uh, my other key takeaway for this one, though, the Ravens have a real issue in their running game after Lamar Jackson. Obviously, J.K. Dobbins still out recovering with that ACL injury he sustained last year. But even beyond that, Gus Edwards is injured once again. Uh, top two backs yesterday were Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake, who they just signed off the street last week. Uh, they had a combined nine rushes, 24 yards, and Mike Davis threw in uh, five rushes and four yards of his own. Not a great day on the ground for anyone on the Ravens. Uh, see all my compliments about uh, Christian Wilkins earlier. Uh, they can't rely on Lamar Jackson to be the entire running game. Someone needs to step up and take up the mantle as that lead back. J.K. Dobbins may ultimately fill that role, but right now the Ravens might have the, the thinnest backfield in the entire league for a second year in a row. And moving on, we are turning the corner and running down the home stretch, starting off with the 4 p.m. games here. The Ravens, first off, staved off a furious comeback uh, to outlast the Falcons, who were trying to atone for that 28-3 sin that they had before, but losing 31-7 ultimately. The Rams started out the way that most people expected. They went into the halftime leading 21-3, then scored a TD on their first possession of the second half to make it an ominous, an ominous rather, 28-3 lead. Um, and from there, the wheels started to fall off. Drake London caught a TD towards the end of the third, coming off a of Matt Stafford second interception of the day. Then the Falcons drove 75 yards to score another touchdown. Then, with five minutes to go, in the game, the Rams allow a blocked punt for a touchdown. The Falcons tack on a two-point conversion to make it that final score, 31-27. to But there was still game to play. On the ensuing possession, Cooper Cup lost a fumble at the Rams, 37, with 3.37 remaining. It looked like the Falcons were about to pay it forward for the 28-3 sorrow the franchise has endured. But then, Marcus Mariota made a Marcus Mariota play. On third and long, forced the ball over the middle which was picked off by Jalen Ramsey to ice the game uh, with just a few seconds remaining. Game over. Fal not Falcons. The Rams escape with a 31-27 lead, or 31-27 win, rather. Uh, notable performances in this one. Uh, first off, Matt Stafford. Solid, solid bounce-back game for him. 75% completion. 272 yards, 7.6 yards per attempt. So, all solidly above-average numbers there. Also had three touchdowns, but... 
Two interceptions. I mean, you got to expect a little bit of that from Matt Stafford. You're glad you, you're glad they won. At the end of the day, gonna want to not do two interceptions a game. That's really the only only piece of advice I have for Matt Stafford. Only piece of, of advice I can give for basically every QB out there. Don't throw two interceptions a game. Uh, you're welcome for the obvious advice there. Uh, in the backfield, though. Darrell Henderson led the way for the Rams for or 47 rushing yards on 10 attempts, 4.7 yards per attempt. So one TD to go with that. Not terrible, but not necessarily prolific either. Not necessarily great on the ground. We'll talk about that in just a second here. On the other side, Cordero Patterson also had 10 rushes, 41 yards. Uh, no touchdowns to go with that, though. Not a great day from Patterson overall. Uh, wide receiver Cooper Cup. 11 receptions, 108 yards, two touchdowns. Had a spectacular game for the most part, but did lose that fumble late to put the the Falcons in fantastic prime position to uh, go down and get something, get some, uh, get some points when it's all said and done. They had to score a touchdown, but Marcus Mariota was Marcus Mariota. Defense did his job. We all know what happened next. Uh, Tyler Higby as well at tight end, seven receptions. 71 yards for the Rams. Uh, solid production there. Really as much as you can ask for from Tyler Higby in this one. Also, Allen Robinson caught his first touchdown as a Ram. Four receptions, 53 yards on the day. Uh, on the Falcons side, wide receiver Drake London had a bit of a breakout game. Eight receptions, 86 yards, one touchdown in leading that comeback. Also, Olamide Zacchaeus had two receptions, 21 yards, and that uh, that other touchdown for Marcus Mariota. Uh, Kaderil Hodge also had a couple big plays, caught two passes, 57 total yards for a robust yards per uh, catch average of just a shade under 30 there. Uh, great, great game for the, the Rams in this one. That offensive line is a real, real problem. Forgot to put in some uh, key takeaways, so we're just going to shoot this off the cuff. One key takeaway I have... Arthur Smith, absolute fucking monster when it comes to coaching. He's going to be a coach for the next decade. I touched on that last week. Very, very good coach. He can make a box make a box of nails into the most beautiful house you have ever seen in your entire life. Uh, outside of him, though, on the Rams side, offensive line's a problem. They're going to have some real trouble closing out teams. Really just confirming a lot of what I saw last week. This Rams team does not look like they are long for this world. Uh... That seems a bit dark, bit of a dark uh, assessment there. Maybe not necessarily long for this world is not what I was trying to say. What I was trying to say is this team doesn't look like one that's going to repeat as a Super Bowl champion. I'll just put it that way. Um, we're going to have to wait and see on that, but that's just the read I'm getting right off the bat. That offensive line has not been good, and it's not looked good at all against a really not a great defensive front for the Falcons. Obviously, you got Jar Grady Jarrett to contend with, but outside of him, no one that truly scares you, so... I mean, you win if you're the Rams, but there's a lot to be concerned about at the end of the day. Moving on, the 49ers dominated the Seahawks 27-7, but lose Trey Lance for the season. And, well, I guess keeping Jimmy G around the building wasn't such a bad idea after all. You know, maybe I can be wrong sometimes. You know, that's my bad, you know. Pat myself on the head, give myself a bonk for being wrong. Uh, I'm going to have to flog myself a little bit and, and yell shame at the top of my lungs. Uh, while walking around the neighborhood and proclaiming my shame, but you know what? We'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, Trey Lance went down in the first quarter after he had a D lineman fall directly on his angle, on his ankle, on the outside of his ankle, I believe. Uh, really shattered that, to say the least. I mean, Lance's foot was bent. 
sideways at an unnatural angle before the, the air casted that, that sucker up, uh, got him to the hospital. Prognosis is a fractured fibula and some ligament disruption, whatever the hell that means. Uh, he's already had surgery. He is out for the year at this point with that ankle surgery. From there, Jimmy G came in and did pretty much exactly what you would expect for him, uh, expect of him. He managed the game, played behind the defense and running game, just slowly built this thing out into a blowout here. Tough day of injuries as rookie Tyrion Davis Price sustained a major ankle injury as well of his own. Uh, high ankle sprain will keep him out four to six weeks. Uh, so you're you're uh, you're running back right now is basically just Jeff Wilson and a combo of Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, who are your top two wide receivers to provide variety and depth. Uh, keep the defense off balance in that running game. Already missing Elijah Wilson for eight weeks with a knee injury, so very thin in the backfield for that Shanahan offense. The Niners ended up winning comfortably, but the costs were enormous on Sunday. Uh, notable performers in this one, Trey Lance uh, obviously left the game in the first quarter uh, with the season-ending ankle injury. Jimmy Garoppolo came in in his place, had a solid Jimmy G day uh, in three quarters, uh, just short of 62% completion, 13 of 21, uh, 154 yards, 7.3 yards per attempt, so right about average there. Two TDs, no turnovers, one pass TD, one rushing TD, in fact. So nothing but efficient on the day. This was a good Jimmy G day, the, the day that you you like to have when you need him to come in and be that closer like they needed him to in, in this one. Geno Smith on the other side, uh, threw for 80% completion, little bit uh, less efficient than last week, though. Uh, 197 yards, so 6.6 .6 yards per attempt. Great hail Satan there. Uh, zero TDs thrown, though. And one interception, so not going to cut it uh, when it's all said and done. There's a reason why they lost by 20 points. That being said, they were facing an onslaught of pass rush with two rookie offensive tackles. So to be expected a little bit to a certain extent. Um, in the backfield, running back Jeff Wilson had a solid day. 18 rushes, 84 yards for a 4.7 yard per carry average. Also threw in... Two receptions for 19 yards to just barely crest that 100-yard uh, scrimmage yards day. Said that about as awkwardly as I possibly could, but, uh, you know, I digress. On Seattle's side, bad, bad day rushing. 36 total rushing yards. Uh, 2.6 yards per carry. No touchdowns. Again, there is a reason why they were held to seven points in this game. 49ers defense just gave them the absolute hands all day. On the outside, Debo Samuel had a characteristically um, versatile, that's the word I was looking for, versatile day, nine touches, five receptions, 44 yards, and four rushes for 53 yards. No touchdowns, but did get just a shade short of 100 total yards from scrimmage in the game. Had a solid game. Helped, them, helped keep them afloat and pull away towards the end there. Uh, Brandon Ayuk had a great day on the outside. Led the way receiving-wise with five receptions. 63 yards, getting a little bit better yard per catch average than Debo, Debo Samuel was able to get. Uh, tight end Ross Dwelly uh, had really only one contribution, only one catch, but made the most of it. 38-yard touchdown reception 
from Jimmy Garoppolo early on in this one or later on. Can't quite remember when he got that, but that was his only catch of the game. Made the most of it. Uh, on the outside for the Seahawks, only real uh, highlight there was Tyler Lockett, who accounted for over half of Geno Smith's production there. Nine receptions, 107 yards, no touchdowns, but still had a very strong game with, you know, not working with a whole lot at the QB position. A few, efficient has been Geno Smith, but not necessarily explosive. That That's really all I can describe it as. Um, on defense, alluded to it before, but 49ers, Nick Bosa in particular, dominated in that pass rush recording. Two sacks against that young Seahawks offensive line. Defensive tackle Kevin Givens uh, dominated the interior as well with three tackles for loss of his own, contributing highly to that 36-yard, 2.6-yard per carry uh, production from the Seahawks rushing game in this one. Big man for the Seahawks, Al Woods, had a big day on Sunday. Uh, really the only one in that defense that had a big day for, well, maybe not the only one. Talk about the other one in a second. But racked up seven tackles, three tackles for loss on that Seahawks defensive front. Really dominated up front there. Uh, also defensive end, Darrell Taylor added two tackles for loss of his own to kind of keep this close for a while before, I mean, the 49ers, just an overpowering roster, just pulled away slowly but surely. Uh, my key takeaways in this one where for some reason I put the key takeaways from the Rams game down here. That's what happened to those apparently. But, uh, that being said, key takeaways most notably in this one. And I'm coming from a, not really much to take from the Seahawks perspective. I think the one key takeaway you can take is that, uh, bit of fool's gold in the, uh, the first week there. Maybe, maybe, uh, Broncos kind of having some growing pains with that new regime. We'll talk about them in a second for sure. Uh, maybe the Seahawks going up against that that new regime, not quite as good on defense as they may have appeared. Uh, this time around, they showed a bit more of their true colors. They have one of the worst rosters in the league. There's no two ways about it. On the other side, though, maybe this was for the best if you're the, the 49ers. You definitely don't want Trey Lance to break the hell out of his ankle and have a major injury like that. But at the end of the day, you kind of come out of this with... You know, you keep them around, eventually you end up needing them. Now there's not a QB controversy, if nothing else. There's no chance of Trey Lance coming back and maybe having to step back into the starting lineup. No more distraction. You know, maybe this all is going to work out for the best. Less less locker room drama. You still got Jimmy G in there, who you've had in there for several years at this point. Got the familiarity of there. Maybe the 49ers can come out here and, and claim this division, make a playoff run. Who's to say? They have one of the best rosters in the entire NFC, so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see on that one. This might end up working in their favor when it's all said and done. I mean, you got the got the, the notable uh, deficiencies that Jimmy G has had in the playoffs and in sort of clutch situations from time to time, but, I mean, at the end of the day, he's the only option you have, and he's certainly the best one in the building, so... This will be interesting to watch and see how they uh, ride this one out. And we're about to do a lightning round here because there are so many good games and I do not have a whole lot of time to get to them, so let's get to it right now. The Cowboys dominate on defense and stun the Bengals 20-17 in Cooper Rush's first start of the year in relief of Dak. In spite of all the adversity and the injuries on offense, Cowboys came out hot in the first half, scored two different 75-yard drives in the first quarter alone. Then Cooper Rush capitalized on a big punt return from Cavante Turpin, uh, leading the Cowboys into position to kick a 54-yard field goal to end the first half up 17-3. But in the second half, they came back down to earth 
and the Bengals slowly chipped away at the lead, scoring two field goals in the third quarter to make it 17-9 heading into the fourth. Then Joe Burrow came alive late, leading the Bengals down the field on a 19-play, 83-yard, 8-minute, 54-second TD drive, ending with a pass TD to T. Higgins and a two-point conversion to Tyler Boyd to tie things up at 17-all with 3.45 remaining. Came down to Cooper Rush, leading the Cowboys into position with the game on the line to score their first points of the second half when it counted as time expired to barely edge them past the Bengals 20-17. to What an upset for the Cowboys. Notable performances in this one. Joe Burrow, not quite as bad of a day as last week, but, you know, 66%. Uh, hit two-thirds of his passes right on the dot. 199, 5.5 yards per attempt, so still not great through the air. One touchdown, no turnovers, though. That's really all you can ask against a defense like the, like the Cowboys if you're not going to be prolific through the air. Also, sneaky athletic, white guy out there. Four rushes, 26 yards, 6.5 yards per attempt. He is very, very good. Just did not have the offensive line in front of him to help him out. Uh, at the other side, Cooper Rush, 61% completion, 235 yards, doubled, not doubled up, had two more yards per attempt than Joe Burrow did in this one with 235 yards on 7.6 yards per attempt. One touchdown, no interceptions. Again, as a backup quarterback in particular, didn't shoot the team in the foot. That's all you can ask for. Running back Joe Mixon had a solid day. Not great, though. Uh, 57 yards and 3 yards per carry. 3 receptions, 26 yards through the air. So, you know, just a, just a shade over 80 yards on the day total. Tony Pollard had 9 rushes, 43 yards for 4.8 yards per carry and a touchdown. Uh, 4 receptions, 55 yards, so just a shade under 100 total scrimmage yards. He is looking to subplant uh, the very expensive Zeke Elliott, who rushed for 15 rushes, 53 yards. That being said, Jerry Jones has a bit of a man crush on him, if you haven't noticed. So things might get weird there Look going forward. That's something to watch. Uh, on the Bengals' side, wide receiver T. Higgins finished with six receptions, 71 yards, one touchdown. Wide receiver Jamar Chase, five receptions, 54 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, okay in those top two. Could have been better if the offensive line did their job. On the other side, Noah Brown totally killed me from time to time on my fantasy team, but caught five receptions, 91 yards, a touchdown. Spent a lot of time on the practice squad and in the lower rungs of the roster with Cooper Rush, so has some uh, some built-in chemistry there. Seemed to be his favorite receiver on the day for those big plays. Wide receiver C.D. Lamb had seven receptions, 75 yards. It was still a solid day, but stop stealing the receptions from Manoa Brown. I'm trying to win a fantasy league here. Uh, outside of him, Micah Parsons had another dominant game for the Cowboys defense and what is shaping up to be a possible defensive player of the year candidacy. We'll talk about that in just a second. He tallied two sacks, five QB hits. Cowboys defensive end Dorrance Armstrong had a strong game in his own right, getting two sacks of his own, uh, pressuring the hell out of uh, Joe Burrow in this one. Defensive end Sam Hubbard for the Bengals had a solid day of his own on the defensive front for the Bengals, getting a sack and two TFLs. Key takeaways for this one. Calling it right now, I think Micah Parsons is going to win Defensive Player of the Year this year. That's a definitive prediction on my part. He's had four sacks in two games this season, and he'll face a few challenging offensive lines, particularly in the division with the with the Eagles. But he's got a lot of favorable matchups on the schedule coming up here, including the Giants and Commies twice, uh, the entire AFC South, which is just filled with, I mean, we'll go down the list here, got Colts, Jaguars, Texans, 
Titans. None of those offensive lines scare you, especially if you're a vaunted player like Micah Parsons. He might have 20-plus sacks this season when it's all said and done. That is something to watch. I think he is he's about four plus 450, I believe the consensus odds is, right now for him to win Defensive Player of the Year. He's going to do that, I think. It's not a... Not a definitive that's going to happen. Obviously, there's still a whole season to play. Still possible injuries to happen. Uh, God forbid. But I feel like he's got the inside track here, even more than Miles Garrett, who is the favorite right now. I just don't think Miles Garrett's team is going to be good enough around him. That being said, maybe the Cowboys not so good either, but I don't have to, to expose. Don't have time to have more exposition on this. Moving on, the Bengals might be a 500 team with that offensive line, man. That's my my one big takeaway for them. It's a two-game sample size, and they've played two straight murderers rows on the front seven in Pittsburgh and Dallas. Uh, Pittsburgh with T.J. Watt for most of the game at that. But that high-priced, new-look offensive line is looking a whole lot like the cheap unit they had out there last season. I mean, j- just got to say it like it is. They've got to show up this next week against the Jets' offense, or against the Jets' defense, rather. Otherwise, I'm fully pressing the panic button. Not on Joe Burrow or the offensive weapons, just the offensive line. They have spent way too much money for them to be playing as bad as they are. Lyle Collins, bad bodyguard right now. I would not want him... Okay, in real life, I would love Lyle Collins as my bodyguard because I think he might play dirty. That's just something that I feel like I get the vibe from him. Um, On the field... Not been a great bodyguard this season. Going to have to pick it up. With that said, though, moving on to the next game, Broncos barely survive uh, head-scratching decisions and equally confusing play calling to win 16-19. to And this was a sloppy one. Another round of head-scratching decisions for Nathaniel Hackett. At the very least, the Broncos weren't really going three and out. So, you know, got that to hang your hat on. They were usually taking five, six plays per drive, but they just kept stalling out in weird ways. I mean, for example, just going down the list here, and this is just a couple examples here. Russell Wilson taking a sack on third and long to settle for a field goal on a 12-play drive late in the game. Not something you want. I mean, odd, odd way to end that drive. Even more weird, getting a delay of game on fourth and two Uh, in field goal formation to push the Broncos out of field goal range and force a punt instead. And directly before that play where they got the delay of game on the field goal formation, Hackett drew up a speed option play with a backup tight end as the main ball carrier, which failed miserably, as you can probably guess. They lost a yard on that play, and it had me completely wondering what the hell he was thinking. A backup tight end on a speed option is not your short yardage play you're looking for there, especially when you got Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon in the backfield. Just don't overthink that one. Hand it to your fucking horses, man. What are you doing? I mean, it's in the fucking name. The Broncos, hand it to your horses. Uh, their first trip to the goal line also, they fumbled twice and threw the same generic back shoulder fade to Cortland Sutton two plays in a row to set up a field goal. I mean, ultimately, the defense was able to salvage the day and make sure the Broncos got out of there with a win. But to say Nathaniel Hackett's situational decision-making has been erratic would be a vast understatement after this one. Very, very tough first two games for Nathaniel Hackett in the media, for sure. Notable performers in this one, Russell Wilson had a bad game, only 14 of 31, under 50%, so 45% to be exact. Um, 219 yards, still 7.1 yards per attempt, so he was trying to sling it downfield, but 
One touchdown, one interception, just not a good day overall for Russell Wilson. Not necessarily a great day for Davis Mills either, though. I mean, only 50%, of, even uh, 19 of 38, 19 completions, 19 incompletions, uh, 177 yards, uh, below 5 yards per attempt on that one, up just 4.7. Uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but not a good day for Davis Mills. He's facing a vaunted uh, Broncos defense, but still not going to cut it when it's all said and done. Not a whole lot of help he's getting, but still not a good performance from either QB in this one. I mean, there's a reason it's, it ended 16-9. to In the backfield for the uh, for the Broncos, it's the vaunted pairing of Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. First off, Javante Williams had five yards per carry on 75 yards, one reception for 10 yards. Very efficient day for him. Melvin Gordon, not, not too bad in the efficiency realm himself. 10, 10 rushes. 47 yards, 4.5, 4.7 yards per uh, ooh, carry, rather, excuse me. On the other side, running back Damian Pierce, rookie, I uh, don't know what college he's out of, but the Texans really like him in that backfield. Uh, cut Marlon Mack in favor of Damian Pierce this season. Not sure if that's a winning move or a tanking move, but I digress in that front. He had 15 rushes, 69 yards, uh, 4.6 yards per carry, so not bad there. Um Real star on offense outside of the backfield for the Broncos on the other side. Uh, Cortland Sutton, seven receptions, 122 yards. Actually caught a bunch of those fades in the middle of the field. Just couldn't convert a few of them on the goal line. Uh, I say in the middle of the field. It was on the sidelines. But Russell Wilson and Cortland Sutton seem to be very, very good at that fade, uh, that deep fade down the sideline. Uh, look for that to only continue going forward. Uh, tight end Eric Sobert, who I believe was the one that took the speed option Still has me aghast at that one. Uh, actually, no, I think it was Beck that took the speed option. Still even more aghast at that one. A 22-yard catch for Sobert, though. Uh, wide receiver Nico Collins for the Texans led the way with four receptions, 58 yards. Brandon Cooks had a four-reception, uh, 54-yard four day on his own as well, including a big uh, play down the sideline to set up a score uh, earlier in that game. Uh, Broncos defensive end Draymond Jones shouldered the load on the pass rushing front uh, with... Two, two out of the Broncos' three team sacks. On the Texans' side, defensive end Rasheem Green led the way for the pass rush with a sack and a half. Uh, really just a solid defensive performance from both teams. Just slightly better on the Broncos' side. Just, just got a better roster overall. Key takeaways for me, the Texans' defense under Lovey Smith is going to be the group that keeps most games competitive this season. Unless the team faces up against a buzzsaw like the Bills, I'm staying the fuck away from every team they're an underdog against. Less of a takeaway, <clears throat> more of a caution for Nathaniel Hackett here up next, but allow me to paint a picture for you. The Broncos bring in Aaron Rodgers, offensive coordinator and favorite coach uh, by all appearances in hopes that it will lure him away from the Packers. In the end, Aaron Rodgers re-signs with the Packers, so George Payton, being the aggressive madman that I know and love, goes out and gets Russell Wilson instead. All good for Hackett thus far. You get a new quarterback in there, an elite quarterback in there. At least he was in the past. Uh, who's to say now? Uh, they also bring in a few high-priced free agents on the defensive line to gear up for a possible championship run. They got a solid, solid roster top to bottom. Then, new owner comes in with zero loyalty or personal ties to the incumbent head coach and a bottomless pit of money uh, to spend on contract buyouts and severance packages. He is part of that Walmart dynasty. He's now the richest donor in the entire league at that. And after all of that, Nathaniel Hackett comes out and puts up two straight duds on offense with some wild decisions 
to start his first season as a head coach and his first season as a play caller at that. People forget he was designing offenses, but this is the first time he is getting into the flow of the game and calling plays like that. That's a lot of decision to take on at once. A lot of first times having all those uh, all, all those responsibilities as well, and it's looking like it for Nathaniel Hackett. I lay all that out to illustrate this. Nathaniel Hackett, if by some weird result of happenstance you listen to this, just know that you have quite possibly the shortest leash of any first-year coach in the league. If Hackett doesn't show some serious improvement and finish out this season strong, there is no question in my mind that Greg Penner, the new owner, will clear the deck minus George Payton and bring in some guys that he can vet beforehand on the coaching staff. That is just simple bottom line. He's got no loyalty to Christian Hackett. He came in before the new owner's uh, I believe he interviewed with the new owners, but wasn't there for the entire interview process. This is this is something that's a dicey situation. I could very easily see his tenure ending after one season with the Broncos. With that said, another uh, another Western team here, this time in the NFC West, uh, also AFC West with the Raiders. Cardinals, though, make a torrid comeback behind Kyler Murray's big second half to beat the Raiders in overtime, 29-23. to The Raiders were up 23-7 to to start the fourth, actually, before Kyler Murray let a torrid comeback to send it to OT. Led 20 to nothing at half, did the Raiders. The game ended with Isaiah Simmons forcing a fumble and Byron Murphy, Byron, yeah, Byron Murphy, Byron Murphy scooping it up to score the game-winning touchdown. That all came after Russell Wilson had, I mean, really, maybe the longest two-point conversion play of all time. Just ran in circles, missed a guy open here or there, ran in circles again, uh, ran to the sideline knowing that he was faster than the Raiders' uh, defenders, and eventually got the two-point conversion to tie it up and send it to overtime. Just a spectacular athlete. What more is there to say about Kyler Murray right now? Um, notable performers in the game, though, that brought them to this uh, 29-23 result. Uh, QB Kyler Murray, I mean, great second half in particular, 31 of 49. Uh, that's 63% for those of you at home. 277 yards, just 5.5 yards per attempt, which is not going to cut it, but had those two TDs late, one pass TD, one rush TD, uh, one interception uh on the ground had the five yards or five rushes, 28 yards for that 5.6 average and that TD, of course. Uh, great, great. Most of that coming in the second half. Fantastic game for Kyler Murray in this one towards the end. Derek Carr started out hot, 25 of 39, 64%, uh, 252 yards, six and a half yards per attempt. Two touchdowns, no turnovers in this one but just could not close out the game. Um, in the backfield, they had Josh Jacobs, 19 rushes, 69 yards for less than four yards per carry. Also had one reception for 12 yards. Not a great day on the ground for Josh Jacobs. Really just illustrates the problems that the Raiders had on the ground that we'll touch on in just a second. On the other side, Damian Williams for the Cardinals, eight rushes, 59 yards, 7.4 yards per carry, one touchdown as well. Very efficient performance on the other side of things. Uh, solid rushing game for the Cardinals in this one. Uh, on the outside for the Cardinals, Zach Ertz had eight receptions, 75 yards, no touchdowns. Also, Greg Dortch, the guy that was the hero last week, uh, came in four receptions, 55 yards, caught the one passing TD from Kyler Murray. He might be earning himself a little bit more playing time uh, as... DeAndre Hopkins comes back as you get Rondale Moore back into the lineup. I believe he went out for this one uh, early, if not 
pregame. I can't quite remember what it was. But outside of him, Hollywood Brown, six receptions, 68 yards. They look like they have some good chemistry between each other. That is Kyler Murray and Hollywood Brown. Uh, for the Raiders, though, Devontae Adams, quiet, quiet game. Two receptions, 12 yards, one touchdown. Credit to the Cardinals' defense for holding him down in this one. Uh, wide receiver Mac Hollins led the way for the, the Raiders. Five receptions, 66 yards, and no touchdowns. Uh, Hunter Renfro, seven receptions, 59 yards, no touchdowns. Led the league in catches. Also, the great Darren Waller, maybe the best receiving tight end in the entire league at this point, had six receptions, 50 yards, one touchdown. Just not quite good enough when, when the chips were on the line at the end here. Been a big bugaboo for the Raiders overall. I mean... Didn't score a single point in the fourth quarter or overtime. That's just not going to cut it. Uh, for the Cardinals, corner Byron Murphy ended the game with a scoop and score after Isaiah Simmons forced the ball out of Hunter Renfro's hands. On the Raiders' side, linebacker Divine Diablo had a monster game, uh, racking up 15 total tackles. Linebacker Jayon Brown had a damn good game in his own right. Also for the Raiders, recording 12 tackles of his own. I mean, you had some players play absolutely out of their mind, had, had a weird defensive call on that two-point conversion that Kyler Murray just kind of ran around for a while. Again, if you're not going to, not again, really just iterating this now, if you're not going to send Max Crosby and Chandler Jones to rush the passer on probably the most pivotal two-point conversion of the game, why the hell did you pay those guys? There's no reason to have them even in the building at that point. Makes zero sense whatsoever. Um, each team ended up recording just one sack in the game. Not a great pass rush game for either team in this one, but made for some exciting sequences, that's for sure. Key takeaways here, Raiders' offensive line will be the death of their playoff hopes in the long run, I think. They can jump out the big leads on the back of their receiving core, but with that abysmal run game, teams will always hang around. Plus, with a weak secondary on the other side of the ball, they will always be very susceptible to teams clawing back into the game. It's just the way the Raiders are built. Just don't think this is going to be a playoff season in, in not almost said Mike McDaniel, uh, Josh McDaniel's first year as the head coach there. Um, as far as the Cardinals, I learned nothing about the Cardinals. Kyler Murray is an insane athlete who can make insanely athletic plays, and the Cardinals may always make waves early in the season. We won't know a damn thing about this team until they hit that week seven wall. Until then, check back in later. For now, we're ending off this segment now, ending off the, the episode now, only about two hours in, with the Packers beating the dog shit out of the Bears, and they did beat the dog shit out of them, so I won't spend too much time on it. Bears initially jumped out to a 7-3 lead, uh, took that lead briefly into the second quarter, but from there it was all Packers. Packers scored 21 unanswered in the second quarter, capped off by Rodgers' TD pass to Alan Lazard with 32 seconds left to put them up 24-7 heading into halftime. Chicago battled through the third, scoring a field goal and forcing a fumble on the other side, but it all culminated in the fourth quarter. Score 24-10. Bears drove down 89 yards, 13 plays, but ultimately got stuffed on fourth and goal. Uh, weird play call with... with Justin Fields in the shotgun uh, running a QB sneak sort of thing. You, I don't know why they don't put him under center. Maybe QB sneak that sucker instead of getting him that running start and more just giving the defense more time to make a log jam in the center, center of the field. Also, <clears throat> with all that being said, might have ended up getting across that goal line. Just wasn't wasn't enough proof in the uh, in the pudding there or in the, the video, as the normal people say, to really go out there <clears throat> and change the call on the field. So that basically ended the game for the Bears. 
Packers went on to win 27-10. to As I said before, notable performers. Aaron Rodgers had a vintage Aaron Rodgers game in this one. 19-25 for 76% completion. Uh, 234 yards, 9.4 yards per attempt. Two touchdowns. Did have a fumble, so not zero turnovers, but very, very efficient day overall. Justin Fields, on the other hand, not so much. 7 of 11, uh, 63.6%. Completions, but just 70 yards, 6.4 yards per attempt. Uh, no passing touchdowns. Did have one rushing touchdown, however, and an interception to boot. Uh, not all his fault, but a bad day for Justin Fields. Looks like another uh, looks like another uh, Bears development job at the quarterback position. Uh, running back Aaron Jones led the way for the the Packers as he had a monster game. 15 rushes, 132 yards on the ground for an 8.8 yard per carry average and a tutty. Uh, three receptions as well, 38 yards through the air and a touchdown as well, making it two touchdowns on the game for Aaron Jones and just on the dot, 170 yards from scrimmage. A.J. Dillon played the demoralizing role of just pounding the hell out of the Bears' defensive line. He had 18 rushes, a workman like 61 yards, three and a half yards per carry. He was not brought in to have great yards per carry. He was brought in to punish the defense while Aaron Jones got a rest on the other side. Uh, David Montgomery had a hell of a game in his own right, though. 15 rushes, 122 yards, 8.1 yards per carry to be the second back with over 8 yards per carry in this game. No touchdowns, though. Had two receptions and 14 yards out of the backfield. Great day, but just couldn't quite capitalize on all those yards. Uh, wide receiver Sammy Watkins led the way for the Packers in the receiving game in this one. Three receptions, 93 yards, had a pivotal 40-plus, I think it might have been a 50-plus yard play late in the game to kind of give the Packers even more time to run off the clock. Sealed the game more than anything. No touchdowns, but had a lot of big plays in this one. Alan Lazard caught the uh, pivotal TD just before halftime to put the Packers up 24-7, like I talked about in the game summary. Uh, no Bears receiver had more than two receptions. Equinamius St. Brown uh, led the team with two receptions, 39 yards, and no touchdowns in this one. Just a bad offensive performance from the Bears. Uh, on the defensive side, Packers outside linebacker Preston Smith, Hale State, was dominant against the shaky Bears O-line, recording two sacks and leading the team in tackles on the day. Rashawn Gary made the most of his two tackles as well, getting a sack and adding another tackle for loss to boot to bring his total tackles for loss to two on the day. And Jair Alexander made a spectacular INT coming from off the screen just before the two-minute warning to seal the game pretty much. Uh, Awesome, awesome interception there running across the field. Seeing Justin Fields where he was going, eyeing down that receiver and just making a play on it. Spectacular play from Jair Alexander there. Uh, for the Bears on the defensive side, defensive end Travis Gibson uh, had a solid performance in the pass rush department, taking advantage of David Bakhtiari's absence to rack up two sacks. Defensive end Robert Quinn was also able to record his first sack of the season as well. Uh, some key takeaways for me, contrary to what week one what the week one win over the Niners may have indicated, the Bears team still stinks. Offense might be the, the new group uh, I target when deciding what defense to start in fantasy. They are terabat. I mean, Montgomery scares the shit out of you, but other than that, ain't nobody there that's really worth a damn. Uh, Going to have to get to that, uh, that, that Packers running defense here in just a second. Uh, Justin Fields might be the most talented QB the Bears have brought in, but... 
they're still going to ruin him with that organization that's around him. I mean, Ryan Poles hasn't been great at GM thus far. Matt Eberflus has been, what the fuck? I mean, what are you doing? You're strangling the offense, I think. Not a great start. I mean, they're going to ruin Justin Fields there. I hate to say it because I, I think he's a good guy, but just a terrible, terrible situation. He's in maybe the worst situation outside of Davis Mills down with the Houston Texans. Um, outside of that, the running game with two workhorses they have in the backfield uh, will make a lot of other things easy for the Packers, but the fact of the matter is they have serious, serious problems at receiver. If you're counting on Sammy Watkins to be a week-in, week-out difference maker in the passing game and Alan Lazard to produce consistently, you're going to get burned against high-quality defense. Plain and simple, no two ways about it. This is going to be a problem come playoff time. On the other side of the ball for the Packers, it's only a week, a two-week sample size, but the Packers' run defense looks very suspect. They gave up 180 yards, 6.7 yards per carry to a bad Bears offensive line. Maybe one of the worst offensive lines in the entire league. Quay Walker is a hell of an athlete out there. He looks like a, he'll be a stud eventually, but he looked absolutely lost on some of those run fits on, on Sunday night's game in particular. Going to be some growing pains back there. Devondre Campbell is going to have to step up his play a little bit more. He looked great in that first game, not so much in the second game. I would be very, very worried about this Packers running defense, particularly with how bereft of talent they are on the outside, on the offense. You need a defense that they can play behind if you're going to play that ground-and-pound defensive style for the Packers. Overall, though, still look like maybe the best team in the division, still tied for the lead in the division with the Vikings at the top there in the NFC North. So, with that... That is the last of the games I'm going to get to here. Technically, since I'm recording this on Tuesday morning, stretching into Tuesday afternoon, could get to the two Monday night games, but we are already at an hour in the recording. So I am, or not an hour, we're at two hours in the recording because boy, so many damn good games this week. So many good games. But that being said, that is all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't, if you didn't enjoy which, I mean, I'm stumbling over my words a lot, so it's understandable. Get the hell out. Don't need you here. But also, tell people it was good anyways, because I like good PR. I like people coming in, growing this podcast a little bit more. You know, tell people it was good anyways. That's all I can ask from you. What are you going to lose from telling people it was good, other than the dignity of knowing that your uh, your picks for a good podcast actually mean something in the long run? Uh, not even sure what I'm talking about. Spread the podcast around. That's the main gist here. I released two episodes a week during the football season, NFL on Tuesdays, college football plus Monday night football recap on Thursdays. Any additions or changes, I will let you all know as they occur. Follow me on all my socials at Caleb Burzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up Eastern Block name. If you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show in all caps to start the subject line so you can be categorized accordingly and one more time for you that's unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com thank you so much for tuning in to unqualified analysis and as always i've got no clue what i'm talking about one thing i learned this week if you don't practice putting you play terribly at golf this is just my way of saying i fucking stink at playing golf see you later